Good morning. Again, my name is Mitchell Slate. I'm blessed to serve as the pastor here, one of the pastors here, along with the other elders. And again, by God's grace, uh, this is our first Sunday as a new fellowship. It's our very first Sunday together. So if you're visiting with us, if you just come in, uh, welcome. Great Sunday to be here. Now, since this is our first Sunday, I want to start off in this message, um, and really in all the messages in December, uh, just, just laying a solid foundation for our life together as believers in Christ. I want us to spend the next few minutes just thinking through from the Word of God what's absolutely most important for the life of our church. And... It's the gospel. It's the message that we believe, the message that we proclaim, the message that we treasure. The gospel of Jesus Christ. To give you a little background about our church, we were planted out of River Oaks Community Church just about 20, 25 minutes down the road on the other side of town. And if there's one thing that both of our churches get really excited about, it's the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, gospel just means good news. It means good news. This isn't good advice for how to get God to reward good people for their good behavior. That's not the gospel. No, it's the good news of how God rescues bad people through the work of Jesus Christ. And as we just sang, that work is finished. So this morning, I just want us to ask This question together, this really, really important question, what is so good about the good news? Because it isn't just news, it's good news. To answer that question, let's turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. If you have a Bible, open up to 1 Corinthians 15. If you don't have a Bible, we have some in the hallway right outside those doors. When you walked in, we'd love to give you one. We want everyone to have a copy of God's Word. Now, before we read this passage, I also want you to know that we deeply value something called expository preaching. And all that means is that we don't want to preach our own ideas or our thoughts or our hobby horses. We want to proclaim the Word of God. So it's very simple. We want to open up a passage of Scripture and just look at what's there and proclaim that and glory and revel in that truth together. So our passage is 1 Corinthians 15, 1 through 11. We're asking the question, what is so good about the good news? Here's the answer. Now, I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which I received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved. If you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that He was buried and that He was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures, and that He appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve, then He appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Then He appeared to James, then to all the apostles, and last of all, as to one untimely born, He appeared also to me, I am the, for I am the least of the apostles." Unworthy to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that's with me. 
Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for giving us this specific passage for this specific Sunday. Please, Holy Spirit, open up our minds to build wonderful things in your word and wonderful things in this glorious gospel message of you, our blessed God. We ask this in the name of Jesus for the glory of Jesus. Amen. So what's so good about the good news? We got five aspects of this. There's a whole lot more we could look at. I'll limit it to five. The good news is central, historical, personal, missional, and communal. Let's just walk through these one by one. The good news is central. Now, we just read these first opening verses to chapter 15, and look in verse 3. Paul says, For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received. Christ died for our sins. He was buried. He rose from the dead. Now, Paul is saying, even back in chapter 1, he's reminding them of, or verse 1, he's reminding them of the gospel. And he says, this good news is a matter of first importance. Now, tragically, it's possible for churches and even a brand new church plant like us, it is possible to have our focus shifted onto other things than the gospel. We can prioritize good things over the gospel, things like we want to engage our culture, we want to care for the poor, we want to have good programs, and we can prioritize not so good things over the gospel, things like building our brand or trying to go viral on the internet or growing as big or as fast as you possibly can by any means necessary. Either way, no matter what it is, the gospel can fade into the background, and that's a tragedy. Paul says, this gospel message is a matter of first importance. The good news of what God has done for us in Christ, it should be the, the central jewel of our life as Christians and of our life together as a church. I think sometimes we're prone to think that the gospel, it's simply the message that, that gets us saved. And then once we're saved, we can move on to kind of bigger and better things. But guess what? There is nothing bigger or better than the gospel. It's like, you know those zero entry pools? Kind of starts at ground level and just slowly dips in. That's like the gospel. When we're first saved, we just barely have our feet in. And that's enough for us. Christ died for our sins. That's enough. But we don't move on from that. We move deeper into that. We keep going deeper and deeper. And guess what? There's no bottom to the pool. The gospel is a bottomless ocean. We will never plunge all the depths, even in eternity. That's our joy, to go deeper into the gospel. I think it can be easy to think that the gospel, it, it's provided us forgiveness of sins in the past, and it's provided us the hope of heaven in the future. But, but does it actually help me right now? Like, is the gospel actually relevant to my day-to-day -day life? But that's what Paul is focusing on here. He says, this is the gospel in which you stand, to which you're holding fast to. Now, it's just been said that the gospel isn't just the ABCs of the Christian life. It's not just the building blocks. It's the A to Z of the Christian life. The gospel doesn't just ignite the fire 
of our faith and our obedience, the gospel is the fuel that keeps that fire growing every single day. Remember, in verse 1, he's reminding, he says, brothers, Christians, he's reminding the church of the gospel, which means we need to keep hearing this good news over and over and over again. If you want to hear any different message, this isn't the church for you. But if you want to hear every single week how Christ is completely sufficient to save sinners, we're going to have a good time. We want to keep, as a church, we want to keep this gospel message in the most prominent place in our church. That gospel, it will be proclaimed from this pulpit every single Lord's Day. There is an engraving right here, 1 Corinthians 9, 16. Woe to me if I do not preach the gospel. That means may God strike me down if I deviate even a little bit from the gospel message. Christ and Christ alone will be the central focus of every message we preach every Lord's Day. And we, we'll see even more of this next week, but every passage of Scripture is focused on Christ. It's focused on His redemptive work. Verse 3 and 4 says, it doesn't just say He died for our sins and He rose from the dead. No, He died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures. He rose from the dead in accordance with the Scriptures. He is the focus. So He should be our focus. We want Christ and His gospel to be the focus of our singing. We don't gather together to sing just to make us feel good or to give us kind of a motivational boost or to help us ride an emotional high. That's not the point. We sing so that we can celebrate together and stir up our affections in the gospel and we can rejoice in Christ together. I'm so thankful for our worship leaders, Hannah and Kevin. They have such a passion for leading us in Christ centered, scripture-saturated, God-glorifying songs. I love it. It was so glorious to get to hear you all sing this morning. We want the gospel to be central to our growth groups, right? Just like uh, Mark and Mark shared about earlier, and Nancy and, and Janet, that if you're visiting with us, like they were saying, growth groups are just small gatherings of believers. They gather together each week, open the Word, spend time together in fellowship, pray for one another. But the central focus of those growth groups is the gospel of Jesus Christ. They're not meant to be an affinity group where it's just people with the same interests or the same life stage come together. No, growth groups have people from a, a wide variety of backgrounds and interests, and they have one thing in common, Jesus Christ. And that's glorious. Those are just a few examples but we as elders, we spent a long time thinking through every aspect of this church to say, how can we get the center and the focus of everything we do onto the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ? That gospel is central. It's also historical. It's also historical. Look at verses 3 through 8. For I delivered to you as a first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that He was buried, that He was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures, and that He appeared to Cephas and to the Twelve. 
Then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. Last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared also to me. So the good news is historical. And you might be thinking, really? We came here to hear like a history lesson? That doesn't sound very exciting. But while it might seem like, yeah, if the gospel is historical, does it have anything to do with me? The answer is yes, it does. And this is a glorious truth. Because the good news of the gospel, it is all about what God has done in the Lord Jesus to save rebellious humanity. I mean, Paul said he persecuted the church. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. And this news, it's, it's grounded in what's already been accomplished for you in Jesus. It'll help us if we think about two very important kind of biblical categories. We need to have these in our minds. That's law and gospel. We talk about this a lot, law and gospel. The law is what God requ- requires of us. God's calling on our lives, live this way, do this. The gospel is not what God requires of us, but what God has provided for us. Let me give you an example. So the word law literally means instruction. So think about an instruction manual. If you get a new appliance and you open it up, you need to put it together. You look at the instruction manual, it tells you what to do, right? Step by step, here's what you need to do to make this work right. The law functions like that, an instruction manual. God's saying, here, here's how I want you to live. I expect and require you to live. And the law is good, except that we can't keep it. So the gospel literally means good news. So think about it like a newspaper. When you open up a newspaper, are you expecting to find step-by-step instructions for what you need to do? No, no, no. It's news, right? It's about what happened yesterday or this previous week. It's news about what has already happened. That's what we have in Jesus. The law is good, but we are not, so we are condemned. We have the good news of what Jesus has done for us in the past, fixed reality. That's good news. Well, think about it like this. Imagine that you are living on the streets, you're destitute, you haven't eaten in days. You're sitting there on the street, and someone walks up to you, they look kind, look like they're going to help. They say, man, it looks like you're really struggling, it looks like you're hungry. Here, I'm going to give you something. And they give you a cookbook. Well, nice gesture, right? But not helpful. What the starving person in the street needs is not a cookbook. As good as, as, good as it is, it has all the recipes you need, all the ingredients you need, the steps you need to take. But you're in, in poverty. The cookbook doesn't help you. But then someone else walks along. They say, hey, you look like you're struggling. You look hungry. Let me take you to the all-you-can-eat buffet. It's on me. Eat up. That's good news. That's good news. What does it mean for us? This means that God's love for us isn't based on who we are or what we do. It's based on who He is and what He has done for us. God doesn't accept us because we're so good. No, God loves us and receives us only because of what Christ has already done outside of ourselves in history. 
What has he done for us? Look at these verses again. Verse 3 and 4, Christ died for our sins. On the cross, the sinless Son of God actually became our sin. He suffered the righteous wrath of God that we deserved. He was buried. That is, He was actually dead. Jesus Christ, fully God and fully man, loved us to the point of death. He was buried. And on the third day, He rose from the dead. Now, if Jesus is still dead and buried somewhere, everything we believe is in vain. Don't even come back. But Christ has risen. The Father raised Him. Amen. Christ is risen. Amen. The Father raised Him from the dead. And that shows that Jesus truly paid our sin debt in full once for all. Again, we saying that. It's done. It's finished. We don't know our debts anymore. The cross was the payment for sin, and the resurrection was the receipt, the proof of purchase. And notice just how intensely Paul grounds this gospel message as just a matter of history. The risen Jesus appeared to his disciples. Individuals saw him, like like Peter and Paul, even his half-brother James. The apostles saw him, and over 500 people saw him and became eyewitnesses to the reality of his resurrection. Here's the point. The gospel is not about you. It's not about what you need to do. The gospel is about Jesus Christ and what he has done for you. And you can rest in that. The good news is central. It's historical and it's personal. This gospel that's rooted in history has to become personal for each one of us. Look at verses 1 and 2. We see this clearly. Now, I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved. If you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. This good news is about what Christ has done for us in the past. We just saw that. But that good news needs to make personal impact on our real lives right here, right now, in the present moment. This is why Paul says this gospel is to be received, it's believed, that can only happen at a personal level. So if you're here this morning and you haven't yet put your trust in Christ, I want to speak directly to you. I'm so glad you're here. You need to know that Jesus loves you. He died for you. He rose again for you, and he calls everyone, including you, to put their faith in him. He doesn't ask you to work hard enough or get your life together or to be more religious. He only asks that you abandon all other hopes and look to Christ and to Christ alone as your only hope of salvation. Amen. If you want to talk more about what that means, what it means to become a Christian, I'd love to talk to you myself. One of the other elders would love to talk to you after the service. And this good news, it being personal, that's not just, again, the moment that we receive it, that we're saved, but this is our entire lives that we live as followers of Jesus. Notice that in verse 1, Paul says that he wants to remind them of the gospel. We need to be constantly reminded of the gospel. 
He says, we stand in the gospel. We hold fast to the gospel. And this is the gospel in which you are being saved. Now, that's an interesting phrase. What does he mean? Because you might be thinking, haven't we already been saved? What does it mean we are being saved? Well, the gospel comes in three dimensions. Past, present, and future. In Christ, we have been saved once for all from the penalty of sin. We are being saved progressively in an ongoing way from the power of sin. And one day we will be fully and finally saved from the very presence of sin. We have been saved, we are being saved, and we will be saved. So what Paul means when he says that this gospel message is one in which we are being saved, it means this is how we grow. This is how we are transformed in our walk with Christ to become more like Him. Look at verse 9 and 10. Paul said, For I am the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. Listen to this. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And His grace towards me was not in vain, On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that's with me. So as Paul, as he was following Christ, doing the work of Christ, he was obeying Him, trusting Him, worshiping Him, he says that he worked hard. Even he worked harder than the other apostles, but he says it wasn't really me. It was the grace of God working in me and through me. As we're about to sing in just a few moments, our entire lives as Christians can be summed up like this. Yet not I, but through Christ in me. The the same grace that forgives us, it's the same grace that transforms us. Okay, I'm I'm so thankful to have Brent Blake and Donnie Abbott here this morning. Uh, I call my fathers in the faith. Donnie said he prefers the unstable uncle in the faith. So I'm going to call them both that. That works. I remember, I mean, these men helped me over the last 10 years to be grounded in this gospel. But Donnie, I'll never forget this. I don't know the context in which you said it, but you said grace isn't like a flu shot, just one and done. Grace is like the oxygen that we need every moment. That's what this means. It's not just a one-time thing. Oh, I did that in the past. No, we need the grace of God in the gospel every moment, every minute, every second. Our lives can experience real and lasting change when we personalize the gospel every day. When we remind ourselves of what Christ has done for us and what is really true about us in Him every day. Transformation doesn't come from trying harder. It doesn't come from pulling ourselves up by our own bootstraps or by trying out the newest spiritual trend or fad. We can only experience real transformation in our lives as the grace of the gospel reshapes the joys and affections and loves and loyalties of our heart. The good news is deeply personal. And the good news is missional. Look at this last verse here, verse 11. Paul, he just said he's worked harder than all the other apostles. It wasn't him. It's God's grace within him. So whether it was 
I or they. So we preach. And so you believed. This good news that we cherish together, it's meant to be shared. It is news after all. And whenever we have really good news, we can't help but to share it, right? We're all evangelists for what we're most excited about. When you have the good news of a marriage proposal or a new baby that's on the way or a college graduation or just your favorite new movie, whatever it is, it's your joy to share that good news. You can't help it. How much more with the good news of what God has done for us in Jesus? Is there better news? This news is so good. I mean, this is the Christmas season. At some point, we're going to hear Linus reading the, reciting the Christmas story. He's going to say, there's glad tidings of great joy. Those glad tidings, that's literally the word gospel. The gospel is glad tidings of great joy that we have to share with the world. William Tyndale put it so well. He Define the word gospel like this. The gospel is good, merry, glad, and joyful tidings that make the heart glad and make us sing, dance, and leap for joy. That's the gospel. So how do we share this good news of such great, exceeding joy? It's simple. Verse 11 says, So we preach, and so you believed. Now, as we plant this new church here at Clover Hill, um, we don't need any like fancy strategies for reaching the lost. Those can be helpful. They have their place. But this is all we truly need, just to follow this simple biblical pattern. We preach, they believe. It's that simple. Just a few of us will preach from this pulpit. All of us are called to proclaim and to herald, and to get this good news out to as many people as we can. So we preach, so you believed. And it isn't us. It's the grace of God within us, empowering us, helping us, giving us strength to do it. Now here at Clover Hill, we have six kind of core commitments that shape our life together as a church. If you want to read about those, they're more on the website. We'll be talking about those a lot. One of those commitments is this. We are committed to both short-term urgency and long-term legacy. So we want to have both urgency and legacy, right? This gospel is missional, and people without Christ are lost, and death is coming, and hell is real. So we should have urgency in reaching them with the message of the gospel, urgency in sending missionaries to those people groups that don't have the gospel. At the same time, we want to leave a long-term, a long-lasting legacy for the gospel here in Blount County and around the world. What does it look like to do that, to leave a, a gospel-shaped legacy? Well, it looks like saturating the next generation with the message of grace. We don't want to just give our kids disconnected, random Bible stories or, or moralistic rules and fables. In both our children's ministry and our student ministry, we want to point our kids and our teens to the hope of the gospel. Point them to the all-sufficiency of Jesus Christ. If you're here, if you're middle school or high school, we are having a, um, our student ministry Christmas party 
uh, this upcoming Saturday. It'd be a great time to come and get to know more people. But even outside of that, so thankful for our, our children's ministry, our student ministry. But we care about equipping parents. There's about one or two hours your kids get at church every week. You're with them every day. You can saturate their lives in the gospel. We want to help you do that. Leaving a, a gospel-shaped legacy, it looks like also a, an intentional pursuit in raising up leaders who will keep the gospel front and center. We want to keep doing that. Raising up more and more leaders. It looks like partnering with our sister church, River Oaks. We want to keep multiplying and planting churches in this area. We've been praying that this is just the first of many church plants. We want to fill Blount County with the gospel. It looks like cooperating with them. Again, our, our sister church, River Oaks, looks like cooperating to send missionaries to support those who are working all around the world to make the gospel known. Is this good news? It's central. It's historical, it's personal, it's missional. Finally, the good news is communal. It's communal. Now, we see this in, in verses 1 and 2. I'm going to read them again, but I want to read them to reflect how Paul wrote them in its original language. We're going to take the Greek and transfer it into East Tennessee. Can we do that? So for those of you grammar nerds, of which I am not one, this is a second-person plural and Paul uses that all throughout these two verses. So, our Bible's translated you, but it's y'all. Now, I would remind y'all, brothers, of the gospel I preached to y'all, which y'all received, in which y'all stand, and by which y'all are being saved. If y'all hold fast to the word I preached to y'all, unless y'all believed in vain. Get the point? The gospel isn't just for you, it's for y'all. And even more, it's for all y'all. <laughs> Which is more than y'all. So yes, of course, the gospel is deeply personal, but it's not private. It's deeply communal. Another commitment that we have is this. We are committed to both gospel doctrine and gospel culture. What does that mean? Well, the good news of Jesus... This is a beautiful thing about the good news. It, it deeply shapes and reshapes the way that we live together as a community. The gospel of grace is meant to saturate the relational environment of this church so that it produces a culture of grace. For example, a simple verse, forgive one another as God in Christ has forgiven you. It's right there. Gospel doctrine God in Christ has forgiven you. That's glorious. That's amazing. Therefore, forgive one another. Live that out amongst yourselves. Let that become a culture of forgiveness. All right? Or our welcome, our welcome team is excellent. I'm so thankful for John leading that. But their key verse is from Romans 15. Welcome one another as God has welcomed you for the glory of Christ. God has welcomed you. That doesn't just mean he's shook your hand and said hello. You have been warmly enfolded into his embrace. And because God has so welcomed you, we can welcome one another. It's gospel doctrine and gospel culture. And this is what happens when the truth about Jesus beautifies our life together. 
So Pastor Ray Orland over in Nashville, he provides a good equation that explains this well. He says, if you have gospel doctrine, without gospel culture, you get hypocrisy. So we're over here preaching the gospel, we're talking about grace, and then in our lives, there's zero grace. That's hypocrisy, right? On the other hand, if we have gospel culture, without gospel doctrine, it's fragile, right? So we're trying to live in this certain way. We're trying to love one another and confess our sins to one another and forgive one another, but there's no gospel at the foundation. It doesn't work. It won't last for long. It's fragile. But when we have gospel doctrine and gospel culture working together, we have power. Live out these, these, this is what happens. As we live out these, these first two verses of 1 Corinthians 15 together, we're reminded of the gospel together. We stand firmly on the gospel together. We hold fast to the gospel together. We treasure this gospel which is of first importance together and then we go and live like it's true together. It's a glorious and beautiful thing. This is exactly why we share in the Lord's Supper together. So this, this, this table of grace, it will be the climax of every worship service here at Clover Hill. This communion meal, it's where we as believers in Christ, we come together to celebrate this good news. We've seen why this good news is so good. Now we get to celebrate that in this meal together. This is a time where the grace that we've been talking about, this redeeming grace of God, it's made visible and even edible to our senses as we remember our Lord's broken body and shed blood through the bread and the cup. So I want to pray for us. And then we'll take a few moments of silence to respond to the word of God that we've heard and just to prepare our hearts to come to the table. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for Jesus. What more can we say but thank you? Lead us now to prepare our hearts to come to the table. Remind our hearts afresh of your grace to us, revealed in the Lord Jesus, our Savior and our King. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.